You're listening to OnRamp, and I'm your host, Carrie Fisher. And I'm your host, Shane Blackshear. Two Christians talking about race. Because everyone needs a jumping on point. This is OnRamp. This is OnRamp. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're talking about levels of racism. Carrie, what are we talking about when we say levels of racism? And I might even say types of racism, just to avoid a hierarchical idea right. of it. But basically, one way of thinking about racism is three eyes. And so individual racism, institutional racism, and internalized racism, which we can sort of break down into internalized inferiority and internalized superiority. So a lot of times when we talk about racism and where we, where we get in disagreements about how racist or not racist our society is, we're talking about individual racism. And when we talk about how much progress has happened, a lot of times we're talking about individual racism. And so an example of individual racism is what most of us think about when we think about this concept, which is, I'm not going to let my kids play with those other kids because they're a different color. It's blatant. It's one-on-one sort of micro level, easy to see and spot. And many of us would be disapproving and uh, not support that type of racism. It's easy to kind of like finger wag at that racism, Absolutely. right? Right. Yeah. And, and and so when, when people say, well, I don't really think there's that much racism anymore. It's probably because, Hopefully, for many of us in our circles, we don't see a lot of that really blatant ugliness. Okay, then, although that is still there and around, and we could give stories of that <laughs> if, we, if we need to. But um, institutional racism is one that can be tricky to see, even though there tends to be a lot of research that can give us some insight into it. But institutional just means that it's at a systemic level and so there are ways of uh there are processes in institutions or governments that disproportionately negatively impact people of color and so you know often what's cited as one form of sort of institutional racism is just the numbers of who gets hired at what level at certain mm, types of mm. organizations. Right. And yeah. so particularly when we see research that sort of says, you know, someone named Jane Smith gets uh, accepted into an interview for a manager position and someone named Lakeisha Jones doesn't. Right. And yeah. there's just plenty of times that I, that's been tested and retested and we can see that, opportunity is given more to a stereotypically white name than to a stereotypically black name and to a lesser degree Hispanic name. And I'm not sure what other racial groups it's been um, researched, but beyond that, there's also like, where does a company recruit? Do they, is it, we like to think that people gain status and progression in their careers in particular sort of by their own merit I mean we, we like to think that we live in a merit-based society but a lot of those types of decisions are made based on networking and who gets reached out to and so sure. I'm just kind of using an institution we could apply really similar things to the government as well 
and all sorts of systems, healthcare systems, educational systems for sure. And so, um, in fact, that that is another good example that I want to give that in, in educational systems, we can see systemic racism where it's been studied time and time again that people of different colors who do the same, I'll say crime, but it's not really crime in a school who, who, uh, are able to receive a similar type of punishment might get really different types of punishment. And so that would be yeah. considered that isn't about one teacher hitting one student, but there's just some systems that are a little bit invisible that make it harder for people of color than for people who are white. And then uh, internalized racism has to do with a acceptance of the majority view of people of color. And so if you are a person of color and you've internalized this notion that you are inferior, that's internalized racism. And that might be something that is in your awareness. And like you really say things out loud, like black people really are lazy. Or if we would just get it together, then white people couldn't say these things about us. It might be something that's in your awareness or it might be something that's not in your awareness. And it's just a sense that you have that maybe um, you aren't as smart or won't, won't perform as well. Sometimes we see studies where when someone is asked just to mark their race on a test, some studies show that people uh, of color do will worse do worse than test. if they're yeah, not asked. To, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that would be an example of some internalized, um, inferiority and then if you're a white person you might have feelings of internalized superiority once again that might be in your awareness that you might say out loud well the reason white people have more money and resources is because they've worked harder and they've you know whatever else or it might be something that's unaware and it's a little bit deeper down it's just a sense that yeah, people who look like me are a little bit more trustworthy and yeah. better. So those are basically the, the three types. So to recap, in, individual, <laughs> yes, institutional, mm-hmm. and then internal, right? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about internal a little bit. I mean, you just got done talking about that. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, this can't be racist because even black people think this about other black people or something to that effect. Right. Yeah. I think it, I think we're shocked to learn that, you know, black people are also affected by portrayals of black people in the media. That's right. People of color have also been socialized by a mostly white male perspective on the world. Like people of color have often, not always, but often been in systems where, a white educator and group of educators has chosen the texts uh, in school systems who have um, chosen who's going to be represented on the walls in picture form. You know, all these types of messages are getting through to people of color, just like they're getting through to white people in maybe in some black or brown homes there's a little bit of counter socialization happening, but not always. I mean, it sort of depends. What do you mean by that counter socialization? You know, maybe some people who are growing up in black and brown homes have a lot of, who are exposed to a lot of black authors. Sure. Or um, a really clear sentiment that 
we are just as good as, or we're better than, or all sorts of messaging. But often in a home like mine, for example, I had parents who, or at least one parent who was, uh, very trusting of institutions and didn't really think that institutions would knowingly do anything bad or mean to you. And so, I mean, I didn't have much black socialization. If there's a such thing as that, I didn't have any counter messaging around the things I was learning in school because my mom sort of assumed that I was getting a robust education, um, and I'm using school because that's one of the major places that we get socialized, especially in an integrated way, not just in our families, where we sort of learn about who's important and who's not important, uh, who's smart and who's not smart, who's strong, all of those types of things. And so I would say that I, I grew up in a predominantly white community and I we've talked about this, but I recently realized that. I can only think of one book that I ever read that was by a black author. And to be honest, I'm not sure if it was a black author. I just know the family and it was black. Mm. And so, and I never, I never saw anyone represented in a really powerful way. That was a person of color. Anybody who was considered to be a hero, considered to be a Christian mm. was always um, a white person. And so I think that, that messaging became a part of my DNA. Similarly, you know, obviously there's some tension and confusion as someone who has a different color skin. You have some, or I had some amount of like, hmm, this is, this is interesting. I don't know if I feel totally comfortable with this, but not always at a level of consciousness that allowed me to do anything about it or push hmm. back maybe. Hmm. And when we talk about things like this, it's important to emphasize the one, the subtlety of it, because I'm going to guess that like in school, nobody ever said like, okay, white people are, you know, whatever, successful business people. They are, you know, presidents of universities. Um, they're authors, they're scholars, right? And black people are not. I'm going to guess that that didn't happen to you. Sure, right? sure. But- when the examples over and over and over again of authors of people that you look up to or are supposed to look up to mm -hmm. are over again and again uh, white people and usually white men, you start to at least subconsciously believe this is one this is a thing that white people do and not a thing that black people That's do. That's right. And although you're right, I never had anything really overt like that. There is coded language that happens all the time that sort of, you know, I think about someone recently told me that at their predominantly white church, someone said, don't bring anybody in here with sagging pants and, sure. you know, something else that was sort of coded language that wasn't saying black people. But there's a sense that that's maybe what was trying to be communicated. Right, right. And so I think I don't want to go into that too much because we're going to spend an episode talking about that sort of thing. But I've, I've had a really, really, really similar um, experience recently. In fact, with the same example, talking about sagging pants. And, and my experiences is that people, when called out on that, will defend to the death that white people wear sagging pants too 
and there are black people who don't wear sagging pants. <laughs> Both of which are true. Both of which are true. <laughs> right. That in itself, hard to argue with. <laughs> but the, each of those things are more associated with one group than yeah. the other in American and, culture. And even an eye roll around like Shakespeare is amazing and great and beautiful and don't play Jay-Z at this school or an eye roll around rap music or something. Mm-hmm. And even that is like an area where there could be a lot of, um, and I've seen some teachers do this really well where they compare and acknowledge rap as this like beautiful sure. art form and literary form. But when something like that is, when people roll their eyes or um, make it seem lesser than, then even something where there's been a lot of outwardly success can be taken down to, no, that's not actually good or smart or clever or creative. What's good and smart and clever and creative is Wuthering Heights, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. This very British. Yeah. So yeah, it tends to be that um, when art is it created by people of color? It's low art, right? That's right. Compared to Withering Heights, like literature written by white people or or Beethoven, Mozart, like that's that's high art, right? Yes, yeah. is how we've been socialized, right? Oh. Just, yeah, want to be clear. Just want to be clear. That. <laughs> that's not the views right. of this podcast. Uh, really went off the rails there. <laughs> Our listeners are like. <laughs> felt like I came for one thing. Yeah. And again, um, in a future episode, we'll talk a lot more about that kind of white culture being seen as superior and that kind of thing. Um, okay. So we talked about internalized. We talked about, we talked a little bit about institutional. Real quick, I think institutional is the hardest for people. I mean, just this week I heard somebody say, um, admit that there was individual racism, which I think is really <laughs> hard to deny because- <laughs> Because um, we see, um, you know, people online, especially social media. Yeah, um, the internet's really given us a real boy. resurgence of the ability to gather data around individual racism. That's right. That's right. Yeah, blatant, blatant racism. Right. Um, so that's really hard to deny. But you know, just heard somebody this week saying that that he believed in individual racism, but not institutional racism, uh, which I think is interesting because institutions are, of course, made of people who right. who this person's already admitted can be racist. Who are making big choices about that, that's how right. things are going right. to happen or not happen. That's right. That's right. You know, real quick, let's talk about institutional in terms of like schools. How about, you know, public schools? Like what in what ways do we see institutional racism come up in public schools? Well, I think I mentioned the discretionary discipline. I would say... Um, what are, what are some things that you think of or what comes well, to mind so, for you? So I was actually going there too. You know, a lot of studies have come out, especially recently, about um, disproportionate discipline of children of color. And so, and even when the behaviors are the same, so you so you compare white kids who are getting in trouble to black kids who are getting in trouble, the, the punishment is disproportionate, right? That's right, yeah. And in those studies... A lot of the time, and the studies that are sort of most rich, they've ruled out. Sometimes someone will say, 
well, you know, there's a there's a big overlap between people of color and people in poverty. And so maybe it's not so much a racist thing. It's a class thing. Right. Or maybe someone will say, um, well, you've addressed, but sometimes people say well, the reason they're getting different discipline is because it's different behaviors. But no, the sort of research that we're talking about right now is same behaviors and ruling out for differences in poverty and a whole range of other things. Uh, when principals and teachers are given freedom and flexibility what the numbers tell us of course there are some many probably many teachers who are giving sort of equal disciplinary measures or maybe even uh, overcompensating and give lesser punishments to people of color than they would you know there's all sorts of configurations of how someone might give discipline but what the numbers tell us overall is that across the nation, in 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 most cities, and I would guess towns as well, I think a lot of the research happens in cities, uh, one person, I've this is a little bit more anecdotal, but I, in the last year, I've read a study where two people, uh, I mean a report, not a study, two people who were literally doing the same behavior together, one white and one black, the white student got a lesser punishment than the black student. This was at the same school, same classroom, doing the same thing together. And so this is where you start to see that there are these patterns of disciplining and patterns of resourcing. Another example that's not quite the same but related is tracking, how we track people, where where counselors and other people tend to send students of color like do they when they come in and do their advising are they advised to go into dual credit programs Mm. or college or or are they advised to stay in the regular classes and not tax themselves too much and make sure they can stay on the team that they're playing on or you know are they advised to take more vocational classes which might be great and the thing that they want for their life or you know to what degree does that have to do with just color stereotypes assumptions that that are that are there and so you know i i know that in my experience i've had people in in my educational experience say like mm, you might want to try this other class because so-and-so teacher is really hard. And this is one of those times where it would be hard for me to know, is someone trying to do me a favor because they don't like hard classes or is someone assuming based on the color of my skin that a hard class would be taxing for me rather than appropriate for me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think a lot of this plays into something that we're going to talk about in a later episode, which is unconscious bias because I think if if someone's not familiar with the things we're talking about, it could be it can sound to them like we're saying there are a bunch of uh, racist counselors and teachers <laughs> out there who are, you know, purposefully like knowingly tracking knowingly. People. That's right. That's right. And I don't think we think that's the case uh, by and large. At that's least right. um, that these people weren't purposefully doing this. Um, but there is such thing as unconscious bias. We'll unpack all that a little bit later. We will. And that's what, I mean, that's going to be an important piece of this conversation. But the other piece is the systemic piece that when it's not just about an individual teacher or counselor who 
is doing individual acts of racism against students. It's sometimes, uh, sometimes the systemic piece is that, let's say that uh, in a certain school, uh, the volleyball team is disproportionately people of color. Mm -hmm. And then everybody who's on the volleyball team is Mm. um, advised to take basic English instead of advanced English. And maybe theoretically that's because the volleyball team is going to travel so much and they need to be in the easiest class. But what ends up happening uh, by virtue of the fact that this happens to be a lot of people of color is that less and less people of color are getting into the honors class there. And so, you know, it could be something that's not at all, um, intentional, right? It, it could be some. I don't want to. I don't want to say that there is sure, no the, place. The where possibility it's not is there, but it is. It seems like what you're saying is like it is possible for there to be no um, malicious intent whatsoever, and yet the outcomes show. That's right. Just because of else. a lack of, I would say sometimes it's lack of critical thinking around what are the unintended consequences of some choices that we make. That's right. And sometimes it's around a lack of representation in the power making structure, right? Which and is why diversity is important. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about that in a later episode as well. There you go. Okay. So those are the three eyes. Yes. Of racism. Individual, institutional, internalized. That's it for this week's episode of OnRamp. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review OnRamp on iTunes to help keep the show front and center. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.